So thank you so much, Becky, for being on this podcast. We have a very interesting guest and topic. Like, honestly, I have not really heard of this area that much other than like briefly in the news, but thank you so much for being here. So I guess the first thing we can start off is, do you mind giving a short introduction about yourself, background and hobbies? Sure, sure. So I'm Becky Poster. I, um, I'm a partner in a uh, boutique consultant uh, consulting firm called HDCS, and it stands for, uh, here it is, HDCS, <laughs> it stands for Higher Risk Deposit Compliance Solutions. Um, and what this company focus, focuses very specifically on is um, our clients are financial institutions, whether it's um, a bank or a credit union. They um, hire us to help them navigate through the very complex world of banking, a federally <laughs> illegal business. So that's that's what I that's what I get to do for fun now. Mm-hmm. And um, before that, though, I um, I have twenty plus years in banking. I've done just about everything. Um, I worked at a bank while I went to college. So after I got my degree in accounting, I went into um, lending. So that's really one Mm -hmm. of our expertise in my company is um, not just helping a financial institution wrap their arms around how to just bank the industry as a deposit, uh, a depository customer, but also how to lend them money. And so mm-hmm. you can do that safely as well. Uh, it's a, it's even more tricky, but um, my clients are, um, are doing that now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's fun. And, you know, before I got into lending, I did, I worked in internal audits. I um, did new accounts. I was a teller. I, um, I even uh, was a corporate trainer, which was my favorite, favorite job in banking where mm-hmm. I worked for a very large independent bank here in Texas. And the CEO would just say, Hey, I want uh, you to do training on this. So I would research it, create a training program, and then I would implement it for the, for the, the whole, um, the whole bank. So that was mm-hmm. really fun. Cause you get to see people and work with people within the organization on a very um, laid back fun way. And so that's, that's why that was fun. But um I had heard that one of the positions within any institution, if they're, uh, that gets laid off, if there's an economic downturn is the training department. So in 2007, I switched into the lending side. And then of Mm. course the financial crisis hit in 2008. So I actually kind of saved myself there, but the lending side is really fun. And I was a credit underline, a commercial credit underline underwriter for several years as well. So Mm -hmm. that's. That's what I did in banking before I got into cannabis banking. Mm -hmm. That's actually like a really interesting career path. So I was actually kind of curious from the very beginning, like what got you interested in going into banking or finance in the first place? Oh, that's a really funny question. So I was um, a store manager for American Eagle Outfitters. I was one of the youngest in the whole country for them. And um, I got to work with several different stores within my Mm -hmm. state. Um, If they weren't doing well, they would send me and I would go clean it up, get it making money. And then they would send me on to the next one. And I did that from 19 to 23. I put a pause on school, on college and did that. Afterwards, Mm -hmm. I went back. Um, But anywho, so one day I was working my 80 hour weeks that I was working and I I hit a burnout and I thought, you know what, it's time to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And I got into banking because I worked in the mall and there's a, there was a bank in the mall that I take my deposits to as a manager. (laughs) And it occurred to me, you know, if I got a job in banking, I would get weekends off. I would Mm -hmm. get Christmas off. I would get the day after Thanksgiving off sometimes. (laughs) um, That's why I got into banking. So I could um, actually have some guaranteed time off. (laughs) Really? That's the main reason? That's why I chose wow. transitioning. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was going to go to college. So yeah. I ended up getting a, a degree in accounting and I just stuck with banking. And uh, what kept it interesting for me is there's so many different jobs inside a financial institution. Mm-hmm. So you, if, if you get bored with being a teller, you could do new accounts. If you get tired mm-hmm. of new accounts, you can go down an internal audit. You know, you can just do different things. And so um, that's what kept it very interesting for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I would get kind of my arms wrapped around a certain job. I was like, okay, this is fun. Now I'm ready to learn the next thing. 
Yeah, so right now you're the COO of HDCS. So I'm actually kind of curious about this too, because usually when you hear about the C-suite, you hear about overworking. So do you end up actually working those bank holidays at the end of the day, or you actually do have them off? <laughs> um, yes and no. So the cool thing about this company is that my clients are financial institutions. So mm. I do get some time off because they're off. Yeah. Yeah, they're not there to answer the, an email or answer the phone, but a lot of what I do um, outside, cause I go and I visit my clients and then I go back to the mm -hmm. computer and each visit I do a new assessment. So, cause the cannabis industry is constantly changing. Yep. The banking industry is changing constantly <laughs> too. Um, probably not as quickly as some of the younger generations would like to see banking change. Mm. Um, but the compliance component in banking is constantly changing. And so, mm -hmm. and I can go deeper about why that is. Um, but um, so I visit my customers um, periodically and then I um, come back and I do new recommendations and then I mm -hmm. send in the recommendations and we go through what they want to implement and what they don't want to implement. But that's, um, so if I do have to work weekend or whatever, it's, it's really because I've, I've chosen to. Yeah. And, um, uh, we are a fairly new company. And so I love my customers. And so I have no, like <laughs> right now I have no problem working many hours and staying mm. up late if that's what they need, because we started this company, me and my partner started this company. Um, and he's, he's the CEO. His name is Andy Montgomery. Mm -hmm. And, um, we started this company at the very end of 2019, went live with, um, with, um, marketing, early of 2020 and then the pandemic shutdown really hit. And so mm. it was a challenge to really, it's always a challenge to have a startup and then to have a startup during a global pandemic made a different challenge. Yeah. But, you know, this company got some legs, we got some customers. And so I'm very um, passionate about my customers. And so I'll do pretty much anything that they ask me to do for them. Mm. Wow. So how was your experience getting into HDCS? Was it your idea or was it your partner's idea? Like, how did it all start out? It was my partner's idea. So he and I worked together in banking for a few years mm -hmm. and um, I took some time off to have a kiddo and um, thought I was retired from banking. And then um, he was, Andy was in town taking his daughter to law school and mm -hmm. um was telling me about this new company he was creating. And I thought it sounded like a great investment. So I was like, send me the investor deck. I'd love to invest. Mm -hmm. And without talking to anyone in my family, I just picked up the phone and called it. And like, <laughs> how about I not only invest, but I go back to work. So that's, mm -hmm. it just sounded really exciting. And um, at that time, I really didn't understand cannabis mm -hmm. or the cannabis industry. And so um, I've, I've taken some crash courses and it changes. Like I have, there's certain emails that I have to read every day or mm -hmm. I'm behind on what's going on in the industry. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's where I do stay up late and work weekends is just getting caught up on my subscriptions of, of everything cannabis related. And in, inside that is also hemp. That's okay. That's included with that, that word mm -hmm. cannabis. Cause that industry has had its, um, major challenges as well. Yeah. So even before HDCS, it didn't seem like you were interested in cannabis is because you joined HDCS, you grew an interest and knowledge into that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I really did. I started studying it. Um, you know, cause all I knew about cannabis is what I got introduced in college, yeah. right? <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> what it smelled like and um, how people acted on it. And so um, it was, it was interesting to really study about the plant and what it does and what it, what it potentially can do. Cause we're very limited on our research because it is mm -hmm. still a schedule one drug, um, which there was a research bill that was inside the, um, infrastructure bill that Biden signed a few weeks ago. So mm -hmm. they have really opened up research now where scientists will be able to research on the human body and they'll be able to go to the dispensaries mm -hmm. uh, and get the products that people are actually consuming and do some research. Cause I think that's really what's going to be a game changer for the people that either don't understand it or think it's still like really bad. Mm -hmm. And if you can have the research of the benefits and detriments 
of what it can do to the human body, you can really understand more about why it really is not scheduled correctly. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't be a schedule one drug within mm-hmm. the, there's 40, there's about 40 States in the United States where there's some form of medical sales and inside the definition of a schedule one drug there, the, um, I think it's the second sentence is there is no found medical use. But we have doctors in 40 states prescribing it. So that's just one thing. Another thing that I found like most fascinating um, was that the human body has the endocannabinoid system. We create our own CBD Mm -hmm. and our brain and almost all of our organs have receptors to accept CBD. And that's why there's one of the reasons it's speculated that there has never been a death related Mm. to a marijuana overdose is because our body, when you have too much THC in your body, the CBD that you naturally create flushes it out. Mm. That's interesting. Yes. But also it doesn't um, affect the brain that, um, you know, helps with our breathing and our heart rate and stuff like that. It doesn't negatively affect that part of the brain, like an opioid does. So that's, those are some of the reasons why, um, I mean, you can overdose, you're just not Mm going to die from it. I think (laughs) tried an edible and didn't understand, like, you got to wait for like two hours. The first time you do it, like, I think a lot of people have this bad edible story. So, you know, (laughs) you're not going to die from it, but you might not feel good either Mm. if you do too much. (laughs) So I think those things are, um, what, you know, going into the industry as a banker and, you know, I originally signed on to protect financial institutions. Mm. That was my goal. And then to find out, you know, through just studying and learning what we do know, I'm like, this really should not be a schedule one drug. That's so I found myself a little bit of an advocate for the cannabis industry (laughs) as well. And I've created some really great connections and friends in the industry that, um, I wouldn't have had if I didn't venture down this road. Mm But part of what I do, so, um, cause my friends get a little confused about why a bank would need to hire my company yep. and our clients aren't like the JP Morgans. Um, they have the, the finances if they were to bank this industry, which they don't, mm-hmm. um, or say they don't, um, they, um, so my clients are smaller community banks, even larger ones, but you know, the typically privately owned, but my, um, and they will, um, so financial institutions are required, um, by law to help prevent money laundering. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this industry is so difficult for financial institutions is because there's not another industry out there where you have legal and compliant businesses operating right next to illicit Yep. Illegal. So, and what I mean by that is several things. So, you know, like um, when it comes to a state that just starts uh, legalizing medical and or adult use, the illicit market still is winning as far as sales because it's mm-hmm. cheaper. Um, and that slowly starts to fade out. And we see this in Canada, like the illicit market is still getting more sales, but it's tapering off. Um, but the financial institution has to prove to their federal regulators, which is where, you know, approves their charter to exist. It approves their insurance that they get. They've got to prove to those regulators that the money that's coming from the cannabis industry is legal and compliant. It's mm-hmm. coming from a business that has its license and is compliant with the local laws. Mm-hmm. And that is not easy to do because the laws, um, the laws are there's so many different things that go into what a cannabis company has to do to stay legal and compliant. And mm-hmm. each business is different, whether it's a cultivator or produce a uh, producer, um, transporter or a dispensary, you know, each one of their, their entities have several rules that they have to comply by. Like just, you can't, your packaging has to be a certain way. The way you have to throw away a product has to be done a certain way. Um, just so many different rules. And so um, for a bank to be able to make sure that their client is staying compliant is, is yep. daunting and to be able to match the money that's being deposited um, to match it to what actual sales were and making sure that nothing has come through from an illegal sale. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the bank's burden. And um, so that's what we help banks with, what that looks like. And so we have a three-tiered solution where um, you got to lay down the, a solid foundation for your program. You've got to know it inside out before you even implement it. And then um, we help them with how to vet their cannabis business, how to make sure it's legal and compliant and staying legal and compliant and what that mm-hmm. looks like. And there's a little bit of a training in there too, because your average, your average citizen, whether you're in the cannabis industry or not, may not understand completely why a bank is asking for this certain information and yeah. asking for it often. And so that's educating your, your cannabis business client from the start really makes it a, a seamless relationship. And then the third part is proper monitoring and reporting. So because cannabis is considered a federally illegal drug, um, a financial institution has to file what we call um, a suspicious activity report, a SARS, that's Mm -hmm. marijuana related. And they have to file that every 90 days for every one of their clients, just letting the government know, we know that they're in this business. And so once there's federal legalization, that burden will go away. But right now Mm -hmm. that's, that's a heavy lift. That's a lot of work. And that's just part of the program. But anyway, we put those three, those three, um, risks together and we help banks mitigate the risk. Mm -hmm. So if I were to summarize, it's like whenever they have any particular questions or concerns about the industry and how to navigate it around, you guys would come around and provide solutions of like, here's how to mitigate it. Here's what we can do. Uh, So is that like what you mostly do? Or you also kind of like off, uh, how do you say, outsource some of the work that wouldn't be needed for the legislation? Yeah, so basically, we are a consultant for the bank in a, a financial institution. Another nuance is that they're not allowed to outsource their compliance programs mm. at all. So we help them. We're an extension of their okay. team, but ultimately, the BSA AML officer, which that's Bank Secrecy Act Anti Money Laundering officer, has to sign off on everything and have mm-hmm. ownership of everything. But we're we're hired to help them with how to do that, what yeah. to look. And, um, so that's, that's one thing that, that we do. And then, um, a lot of our clients that we have a multi-year contract with, we are there, like I'll visit periodically and assess the program and see if there's any Mm -hmm. new recommendations. But also one thing that's very handy is that when they have regulators in their financial institution for an exam, I'm there to answer questions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I I honestly don't know anything about this industry and even like what all the compliance and all those kind of stuff that come with it. Uh, So I was kind of curious about this, too. Like, what do you think is the future of the cannabis industry? You can talk about it on a legislation standpoint, on a financial standpoint or consumption. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. So there's several ways that to answer that question. Um, There's three different ways. So number one is it's not going to go backwards. Mm-hmm. The cannabis industry is going to continue to grow. Um, you know, there's been some states that are reporting a slowdown right now in their sales because, you know, before the pandemic, right before the shutdowns from the pandemic, um, people were um, people were stocking up. So there were a lot of sales last year Mm -hmm. and then some states have tapered down. Some haven't, but some states have tapered down, but that's getting back to kind of a normal. It will still kind of, it will, it will tick back up and um, globally that number is going to go up. And so that, so sales will continue to go up. Now, when there's federal legalization, we'll have some issues at first, like what Mm -hmm. we've seen in Canada, where you're going to have some supply issues, some distribution issues, but even Mm -hmm. that will kind of get, um, get fixed over time. So that's one thing is that the cannabis industry is going to continue to go up for several years, um, even without federal legalization, as more and more states keep um, legalizing sales, and Mm -hmm. not just a state legalizing sales for the first time, but within legal states, like let's say California, Colorado, Washington, that have legalized for years, um, there are municipalities within that state that have decided to allow sales. Cause that's one thing that's a nuance within the industry. Even if a state has legalized, it's up to each County to determine if they want to participate in that. Mm. 
So more municipalities are coming online, more states are coming online. So that's going to continue to grow. Um, and then, uh, and so we talked a little bit about legislature. That's, there's a lot of bills introduced Currently, there's about 1,300 bills cannabis related within state legislature and U.S. Congress, and um, not a whole lot's getting passed, but mm. a whole lot's been introduced. And so that shows you that, you know, we're getting closer and closer to additional research, additional, uh, like there's the Safe Banking Act, that which would protect banks um, and would allow more financial institutions to be tempted to enter into the industry. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, of course, the full on uh, legalization, decriminalization, which would be great for the industry, because that would allow, like, let's say, so there's, there's some states that are fairly new to cannabis, like, let's say, New Mexico. So New Mexico um, has been in the medical program for several years, has had a medical program for several years, and they legalize adult use four days after the state of New York did. Mm -hmm. And so they're preparing for a supply issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what federal legalization could help is you've got states like Oregon that have a surplus issue. It would be handy if Oregon could sell New Mexico some of their for their medical, but you're not allowed to do that right now. So federal mm -hmm. legalization would really help with that and open some doors. Um, but also federal legalization will um, create more of a capitalistic way and um, consolidation will happen. And, um, you know, so so your really great cultivators will get snatched up. And so having boutique um, dispensaries will be something that will probably happen further down. It's what we have right now. I think federal legalization will be some consolidation and then. Mm -hmm. I, I see the boutiques popping back up just like with right now, it's super trendy to have your local brew pub. I think it's going to be like that mm -hmm. down the road where you want to have, you know, what's local. And then um, also with sales. So two of your biggest growing divisions of consumers within the cannabis industry that are growing are your elderly that are um, being prescribed it for pain, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, your cancer patients to help with pain. Um, but it's also the middle-aged soccer moms because um, they're finding that like an edible has way less calories than a glass of wine. So those, are, <laughs> those are two big growing. So those are the three tiers to answer that one question um, about where the industry is going. And it's not slowing down, um, but um, some legalization, federal legalization has its benefits and then its detriments to, to mm -hmm. what we have now. So it's, it's kind of like one of those things where careful what you ask for, because right yeah. now there's not a whole lot of regulation enforcement that will, ha that will definitely happen once we get federal <laughs> regulation eventually, mm -hmm. federal legalization. So what would you say are the biggest blockers in investing in the cannabis industry? Do you think it's like really the like the negative connotation of the industry or the legislature or in general, like just people don't know what's going on and that's why they're scared of it? Yeah. So, yeah, the stocks are very volatile. So um, but I feel like that's very normal for net new industries. When you're mm -hmm. looking at crypto, it's volatile. Yep. You know, you've got um the electric vehicle, that's volatile. Yep. So these net new industries are volatile because we don't really have anything to compare. Yep. What is normal? We don't know. We don't have a 10 year span. I mean, some states do have a 10 year span of legalization, but right now it's, it's really hard to even tell because the each year growth is different and each state yep. is different. So um, I, in the way I, invest when I think of like a stock market investment is I don't think about today or tomorrow. I think about 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. The only thing that makes that a little crunchy is that you hope that if you're investing in individual companies, you hope that company is around for 10 years. Yep. The industry is going to be around for 10 years, <laughs> but if, if you're going to invest in just like one company, uh, you, you want to hope it's going to be around for, mm -hmm. for 10 years. And that's one thing that we see also, when it comes to like personally investing, because the cannabis industry struggles to receive fair lending from financial institutions, they're they're looking for most of their funding coming from private um, 
the private sector. And the battle there is they're paying really high interest rates mm-hmm. where banks are obligated to stay within you know, certain legal limits. And so they're paying these really high interest rates. And a lot of investors um, don't understand the industry. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that are getting the investment may understand the industry, but may not 100% know how to properly run a large corporation. So you see that a lot in the industry. And that's where some consolidation is happening. Because whether you're a good business person or not, there's a lot of passion in the industry, but passion isn't what pays shareholders. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a harsh reality about investing in the industry (laughs) right here. So I guess uh, on the same vein of that, like how can anyone get started in investing in the cannabis industry? Like what are some things that they should look into or read up on? Because I think I know some people who do, but they are doing it on like Robinhood, like with like one stock and things like that. Is there even like an index fund where you're kind of diversifying against multiple cannabis companies? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, there are companies traded um, on the NASDAQ, typically, you know, mainly out of Canada, but we do have some that are teed up and ready. Like maybe they're more of a hemp company, Mm -hmm. uh, but they have the infrastructure to um, start selling THC once they, once there's federal legalization, Mm -hmm. but um, it's really the OTC stocks, the -the over-the-counters that struggle. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yes, the, the ones on the NASDAQ are a little bit easier to, to get some guidance on. Um, yep. But the OTC ones are probably, you know, but I'm kind of, I mean, obviously I started a company, I was about to say I'm a little bit risky, but I mean, I started a company during a pandemic, so obviously <laughs> I'm not too risk diverse, but you know, some of those OTC ones are a really good play. It's mm-hmm. just getting to do your due diligence, get to know who's running that company, mm-hmm. what their long-term goals are. And um, you will more than likely make a good bet. There's a lot of really good business owners. And the longer this industry plays out, the more people that are going to have experience are in it, mm-hmm. prove that they've done successful. So, you know, the, there's not a whole lot of people that could say they've been in this industry um, in a legal and compliant way for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been in this industry for decades. <laughs> Actually, that does lead to another question. Like if anyone was interested in joining the industry and like, I guess like maybe your capacity, something as like more of like a consulting role to financial institutions, how would you even get started? Would you say that it's probably easier to go in through f- traditional finance or is there a way through cannabis industry and then going into that area? Yeah, there's several different avenues. There's a lot of universities now that are offering um, cannabis certifications. That really, yes, being now, yes, there's several, probably a good dozen universities, maybe even more than that. I could be not even that, but there's probably a dozen universities, and there's a couple of companies that I do know of that are specifically targeting universities to carry their certification. So as a college student, you can get a certification to go out and be a bud tender at a dispensary, or you could, Mm -hmm. you know, be an intern for a cultivator. And so that's a, that's, that's a very easy way to get into it. There's one company. um, I don't want to miss say their name, so I'm not going to say their name, but because I messed it up. Starts with green, but so many companies in this industry, they're starting <laughs> green. But they um they also have a program that's similar to a wine sommelier mm-hmm. where they're teaching bud tenders the different types of plants and flavors and smells. Oh, and, wow. and those bud tenders, when you walk in to the dispensary, they're not asking you what you're looking for. They're asking you, how do you want to feel today? And I just think that's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, that, so that's one thing, especially for college students, that's um, if you want to layer on like, you know, you're getting your degree in X, Y, and Z, but you yep. want to get certification. It's, it's a great way to earn some money while you're putting yourself through college. Um, and then, um, then consulting. So there's a whole nother side of consulting because my clients are banks, but there's quite a few um, businesses out there that consult the cannabis businesses mm-hmm. on how to obtain a license. You know, mm-hmm. what all do you need to, because some of these licenses are hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Yep. And so 
you need a good consultant to help you and not only just help you fill out the application, but where do you get insurance from? Mm -hmm. Where do you get payroll from? Because there's a lot of the majority of industries out there won't work with the cannabis business. So mm. consultants help with, okay, here's where you get crop insurance. You know, here's where you get payroll services. So that's, and those consultants um, ideally are lawyers. And that's mm-hmm. very helpful to have a lawyer within your state that also knows the cannabis law that will help you get your application done correctly and can guide you along the way. And then they can refer them to me to help them get a bank. <laughs> Cause that's one thing I do a lot, even though my clients are banks, like I said, mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends in the industry and I have a lot of people contacting me through LinkedIn. Where can mm-hmm. I find a bank? And so my next question is, well, what state are you in? And <laughs> do you have to bank in that state? Cause you know, there's, there's banks that are out there banking it that will bank, you know, they're open. And so mm-hmm. they'll, they'll take your deposits if you're out of state. Um, and there's a way to do it. There's armored car services that can pick up the cash, oh, wow. verify the cash, and they can deposit directly to the Fed. So that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So it keeps the bank safe because that money's not coming into the bank and it keeps the um, cannabis related businesses safe and their surrounding community. Because one thing that happens a lot is, you know, these, um, these dispensaries are getting robbed and often because their inventory is very fascinating, (laughs) very, very (laughs) expensive, very good product too. It's gone through. I mean, the stuff like my salad kit that I bought at the grocery store did not go through all the rigmarole that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say rigmarole, um, didn't go through all the compliance that the cannabis industry does have to go through. So you're getting a really high quality product (laughs) and then, um, and it's tested regularly. And then um, what else? Um, The product, oh, and and the cash. So if more financial institutions were comfortable with banking the cannabis industry, we would have less of this issue um, because everyone does target them as high cash and um, the inventory is really high quality. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think I wrapped up most of the questions I have about your experience in the cannabis industry. And I'm also a little bit curious more about your personal journey. So like, what are your aspirations in life? Do you think that you're going to be doing this long-term or this is just like a job and then you also have like aspirations outside of it? Well, um, my biggest aspiration is my six-year-old daughter. So like mm-hmm. anything she she's into, I'm into. Um, but one thing about my job in particular is I'm not a rapid growth business. Mm-hmm. So there are about 12,000 financial institutions in the United States, about 5,000 banks, 7,000 credit unions. Out of those, the last FinCEN report reported that there were 706 financial institutions that filed those um, suspicious activity reports I mentioned earlier, the SARS Mm -hmm. that you have to file. Um, And out of those 706 financial institutions, there's less than 200 that are actively banking Mm -hmm. the industry because some banks have to, banks have to file those reports, even if they found cannabis within their banking system and chose not to keep that relationship, they still have to file those. Mm-hmm. There's less than 200 financial institutions in the United States actively banking it, um, and even less than that openly banking it, like mm-hmm. where someone in the industry will know where to go. And then out of that few banks, there's significantly less even lending to the industry. So mm-hmm. um, knowing that, uh, my company is is definitely, um, you know, we get a few banks, yep. but we're not something where we're going to get a hundred banks in a year. That's never going to yeah. happen. You, you know, even because even if there is federal legalization, even if cannabis is no longer a schedule one drug, it's still going to be considered the highest risk industry right now. So mm. the majority of financial institutions will still continue not to bank it. Um, just like a, the majority of financial institutions don't bank casinos or mm-hmm money service businesses. So, mm-hmm. so I guess like, what are your short-term and long-term goals, like either with the company or even outside of the company, like personal goals? Right. Our goals are to continue to find the needle in the haystack, to find the banks that are either actively banking and could mm-hmm. use some consulting 
um, or um, thinking about banking the industry. And I, that, that's the majority of my conversations where I'm talking to BSA AML officers or the C-suite about here's the risks in the industry. Here's how we mitigate the risks. And then mm-hmm. they'll think about it for a while. And then um, the majority of my clients are banks that are banking the industry, but they want to grow their portfolio. So they mm-hmm. want me to come in and assess their current program, give recommendations, and then layer on some lending and, and how to grow their, their portfolio. So that's been the funnest part. So continuing doing that are short term goals for my company. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit shorter than long term as we're going into crypto compliance, because crypto mm-hmm. is something that banks are going to get uh, a lot of scrutiny over if yep. they are not properly monitoring where those addresses are coming from, what those funds were used for and going to be used for um, if it's a crypto company or a crypto transaction. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that we're pivoting into very quickly. And then long term is I'm open to see where my career goes within the industry. There's so many opportunities in the cannabis industry. So I don't have a laser focus on what my next is, but like, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today. So I'm open to see what I'll be doing next in um, the cannabis industry. Cause one Mm -hmm. thing that um, I live in the state of Texas, which does not have (laughs) legal sales, um, very tiny medical programs. So the state of Texas has 29 million uh, and population, and there's 4,000, less than 4,000 mm-hmm. patients. So it's really a non-existent program yeah. um, and very limited decriminalization. So what I could do in my state could be very interesting down the road as, as things mm-hmm. open up. Mm-hmm. All right. So I do have a section in the podcast specifically on your experience as a woman in your career. And this is where I'm a little bit interested in. How is it like being a woman in a male-dominant field like finance or even the cannabis industry, I feel like that's also male dominant too. Yeah. So I have so many things. So I, I've had major (laughs) struggles. I'm in West Texas and, Mm -hmm. um, anyone that's been out here kind of knows I, I was, um, I struggled to become a female commercial lender. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to actually switch financial institutions. I was at one for almost a decade and they never had a female lender. Oh, female commercial lender. They still have never had a female commercial lender. So I had to switch banks. That's, that is where I met my partner, my business mm-hmm. partner, because he, um, he started brand new banks out at DeNovo banks out in California and in Utah, built them from the ground up and sold them. And so he was baffled by the fact that I was struggling finding a lending desk. He was like, this is interesting. Um, so I worked for him and we, uh, we, we did, we had a lot of fun working together and I mm-hmm. ended up having one of the the biggest portfolios in West Texas mm-hmm. as a female, you know, huh? And then, um, so I did have a lot of struggles. Um, and then, um, the cannabis industry is there's a lot to me, it feels like there's a lot more women in the industry than in the finance industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there should be, I just think that in my mind and the, the, the irony of it is that the cannabis plan is a female plant. And so mm. I like the fact that if more women are in this industry, it's, you know, it's, um, we're consuming a female plant and it's, it's <laughs> cool. <laughs> growing females by females is just pretty cool. I think <laughs> maybe that's your long-term goal eventually to get into that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So do you have any advice for women in the workplace? Like either when you were in traditional finance or as a consultant entrepreneur? You know, it's, it was complicated because I'm, I'm of a generation where um, I did deal with some very significant sexual harassment issues mm-hmm. in my career. Um, and I did not speak up mm. um, because it wasn't going to help me. Yeah. But I do see that for women that are 20 years younger for younger than me. So that would be someone who's 25. Mm -hmm. um, She can speak up a little bit like it's Mm -hmm. it's way more she's way more protected than what I was. But I think so I mentor a young female commercial lender here in town. And um, 
you know, I warn her, like she, she does really well. And so I say, you know, you know, if you're not getting support from the men you work with, just holler at me and I'll help you out. So finding a good mentor, a female that's kind of already done a lot of the work and aligning with them to really help you and give you that sage advice that sometimes Mm -hmm. the men won't give you in the industry. And it's not that they won't give you the, these tips as, as a, because you're a female, just a lot of men are like that in the industry yeah. and it's not necessarily targeted at women, but one thing women do really well is not every woman, but one thing I do very well is nurture. So I definitely think if you find a good mentor, cause a mentor is what really got me to where I I've landed my CEO and business partner, Andy, he's a mentor mm-hmm. to me. He has he has two daughters. So he, he thinks of me as like another one. So it's, it's, um, you know, he's trying to, um, he's trying to get me out of some of the bad habits of being kind of a suppressed woman in in the finance industry. And so being able to speak up when there is a mistreatment and typically larger organizations have a really solid HR now that will support the female in the Mm -hmm. industry. So I see it changing for the better. Hopefully, I mean, I would love to hear back from um, women of the generation younger to me to see if as difficult or if the chicks like me actually made a difference. (laughs) (laughs) We paved the way we worked hard. Mm -hmm. I like to think that you guys did pave the way because I feel like now a lot of companies are like woke and they think that like, oh, now we have to change our practices. We need to make sure we have like training for biases. We need to have the right policies so people are comfortable with speaking up. Uh, So there's like a lot of different things like that. Plus, like there's a systemic way of like, well, we need to make sure that any of these industries that don't necessarily have that many women, that there's ways to attract them to the field like tech. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tech was, yeah. When I was in college, you know, a hundred years ago, um, when I was riding the dinosaur into class, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of other females in my accounting courses. And yep. then now I see that's changed significantly. Yep. And I chose that degree. Um, because remember my retail days where I was working 80 yep. hours, I chose the accounting degree because statistically, and I think it's still even the same today. Um, it is one of the um, fields that has the lowest unemployment rates. Mm. So that's why I chose it. Cause I was like, mm. you know, it's very stable, safe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Even though I didn't get my CPA, I didn't go down the accounting route. Um, I just heard statistically, if you get a degree in accounting, it kind of opens up the door for anything yep. you want to do in the business field. So that's yep. why I chose it. It was definitely not a fun study for me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say accounting so fun. It's um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> I would definitely suggest it if you can yep. do, if you're interested in the business field. Yeah. All right. So I realize if you're going, if you're going to medical school, take a couple of accounting classes. It really does make a difference when you're you're running your own business. Yeah. Especially I feel like nowadays anyone can basically be an entrepreneur. They can do it in whatever domain that they're in, like fashion or advertising, media, technology, all those kind of things. Like accounting is still going to be the backbone of what you need to do. Right. Okay. So advice, my number one advice for any business owner is do your own bookkeeping. Mm. In the beginning, right? Definitely in the beginning. You can get a solid CPA to help you, but you still should be doing the work that you give to your accountant. Mm -hmm. Don't outsource that. Mm -hmm. Never. I mean, even if you're working late hours, but if you own your own business, you need to be doing your own bookkeeping. So to those who are listening, who may not know what like true bookkeeping looks like, because to me, all I think about is like, I'll put all my receipts, I'll give it to the CPA. I don't actually know what bookkeeping truly is, ironically, because I'm in the fintech area. Uh, But like, what exactly would good bookkeeping entail for like a small entrepreneur or solopreneur? So you've got, you know, knowing what your um, sales are, okay, your deposits, what those look like. Um, balancing your deposits, making sure someone else isn't balancing your deposits to what the mm-hmm. bank can say, like you need to be on top of that because that's the biggest issue I've seen um, in business where a business can really strong concept and business owner can fail because their bookkeeper mm-hmm. was taking money off the mm-hmm. book. I've had, and I learned that as a 
commercial lender. I've had clients that had a great business start to bleed and almost go out of business because their bookkeeper was stealing from them. Wow. Mm-hmm. So do your own bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. And it helps you really know and see like, okay, so I deposited this much last year from this store. So why is why is it doing so much less this year? You can find yeah. issues within your own business. And you can also, yeah. by analyzing your own business statements, can see where there's areas of growth and where there's um, some areas of maybe some, some roll your sleeves up and figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. So you, you really do need to be able to analyze your own um, financial statements, balance sheets, and see and compare um, quarterly at least, but definitely annually. Yeah, that's definitely some valuable advice that I should be doing. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, it's just me. So I have to be my own bookkeeper anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's how it is. And a lot of people, you know, cause it's so mundane, like it's not mm-hmm. fun to do your bookkeeping, but you learn a lot from it as a business owner. Like I said, on areas of growth, yep. but you also can prevent um, some heartache. Yep. And don't think it's okay to have a family member. The family members are usually, it's, you can't trust anyone to do your mm-hmm. bookkeeping. I've seen it. It's bad. <laughs> so the main question I actually ask in every single podcast episode, and we got really into it. So that's why I didn't mean to ask until now, but the icebreaker I usually ask for everyone is if you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? If I had all the time in the world, well, okay. So I've got several things that are clicking through my mind. <laughs> Um, spend more time with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Like that just goes by time goes by so fast. Yeah. And I know that. So I, I do, that's the flexibility I have with my company is I do, yeah. like, I took Thanksgiving week off, um, spent time with her. So that was priceless, but to be really honest, and I don't tell a lot <laughs> of people this one, but it came to mind. So I did. So I started playing the violin when I was three mm-hmm. and I love it and I enjoy it. So I think I would probably play that um, you know, and, and, and play in my, my local symphony, not, um, on the professional level, but most bigger towns have like a professional symphony and then yeah. like a, the lower tier is where I belong, <laughs> but, um, probably play my violin mm-hmm. way more than what I do. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you stop or do you currently play, but just not as much? I can play. I, I just don't play as much, um, because I don't really have time for it. And mm. it's one of those things that I recognized um, because I always have a pull to it. I always have a draw mm-hmm. to it. It's When you start something when you're three, it's kind of like a home. It's yeah. a safe place to play my violin. Um, but one thing is um, if you make it a chore and it stops becoming your passion, it's mm. pointless. So I don't ever make myself play it. So if I had all the time in the world, that's what I would be doing, but Mm -hmm. I don't have all the time in the world. You know, you could combine the two and say like, Hey, try to get your own daughter to play violin, unless you've already done that. And then you just join in whenever you want to. (laughs) She's learning the piano. She chose the piano. Oh, (laughs) I let her choose. So, you know, maybe we can play duets together. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be looking forward to that. (laughs) Or, or not. Yeah. You might be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I have got to go. <laughs> She's actually right. pretty good at the piano. <laughs> All right. So just to wrap up this podcast and thank you so much for taking the time to be on a guest on this podcast is like, what is on the horizon for you in 2022? Now that like, it's already December. Oh, I know. So that's, so I'm already, so every year, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big nerd. I think I've already proven that, <laughs> but every year, where I do three personal goals and three business goals and I kind mm-hmm. of break them out. And um, so I'm really focusing on, on um, me and my partner have already like this Saturday, we're going to get together for, a, he lives in Denver. So we're going to get mm-hmm. together via Zoom and we're going to do some strategizing on what we need to do for 2022. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we made it through 2021. We have clients. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. Um, so how we grow that, we've got a really good story. We've got, we've been through bank exams and, um, with no major findings, we've implemented lending programs for financial institutions mm-hmm. and regulators can't, um, because there's no federal guidance yet, they can't say, oh, I like your program, but we've gotten yeah. non-objections is, yeah. is the goal to get a non-objection. So we've gotten those on the lending 
And so getting that story out to financial institutions um, that are doing it or considering it and getting more financial institution clients is, is my immediate goal for 2020. Mm-hmm. All right. So where can we find you on social media? If we want to learn about like what you're up to or even what you're currently researching or any of like these cannabis legislature or current events. So I've got a LinkedIn page Mm -hmm. at Becky Poster, uh, LinkedIn, and I even do videos periodically where I talk Mm -hmm. about something typically legalization legislation. Um, I'm planning on doing one this week or early next week where I kind of wrap up what happened in the cannabis industry in 2021 Mm -hmm. when it comes to legalization. Lots of states and municipalities legalized. Um, Safe banking is not happening this year. Um, I think surprised by no one. And then um, so yeah, LinkedIn page is where you're going to get some interesting posts from me about what's going on in the industry. And mm-hmm. I don't just talk about banking related. Um, yeah. The industry is just so fascinating and complex. So there's, yeah. there's several things to talk about. And then um, my company has a website, hdcompliance.com. Yeah. And all those links will be down below in the description. So definitely check that mm-hmm. out. And lastly, what can we do to support you either in your business? uh, Maybe we have a client that's potentially listening right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think one of the the funnest things is to um, connect on LinkedIn. That would be fun to get to know um, who's listening and who might be interested. And then um, also, if you have a bank, you know, that's in a state where there's legal sales, you might tell them about me. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, if a bank has a policy that says they don't bank the cannabis industry and they're in a state where there's legal sales, Mm -hmm. the chances are they are banking and they just don't know it. Mm. So we help figure that out too. Mm -hmm. We help banks with how to find that. All right. So thank you so much. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Well, yeah, this was really fun. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been, um, really easy. And, um, I know that it was about asking me, but I really wanted to ask a bunch of questions (laughs) about you too. I was like, Oh, I want to ask that. I was like, no, this is not. (laughs) But anyway, I I enjoyed meeting you. I'd like to um, learn more about you as well. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you.